Doug. And this is Jacob. And this is the Talisker. Cheers, 12 year. And this week we are talking about autumn events mostly, eh? Yes, yes. The rethought pre-MZFF offering from the film festival people. You're likely to remember the um, World Cinema Showcase uh, used to be an annual event in around April. But with the proliferation of other mini festivals, the film festival has decided to sort of try something a bit different, maybe a, a little less intense, intensely programmed, but also to get a chance to do some things like focus on retrospectives. As some have pointed out, like Tim Wong from Lumiere Reader uh, mentioned that in a, in a piece that he wrote that retrospectives have been slipping out of the, the festival proper. And so to have a place where they can actually program some res- retrospectives to give people a chance to have a look is, is pretty cool. Yeah, and also to um, open up the Pride of Auckland, the Civic Theatre. Oh, yeah, um, fantastic. We're recording this the Tuesday after the first weekend. Mm. Um, thanks to sickness, we weren't uh, quite as on the ball as we expected. But it was, um, I guess, a good weekend for a Best Worst podcast, because um, I think we managed to cover the best and worst in <laughs> one weekend, um, and arguably even in the same film. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's start with that one, because uh, The ABCs of Death is oh, one of the special. Uh, highest profile New Zealand produced films in a dog's age. Um, if you don't count little things like the Hobbit, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Man, yeah, yeah, the minor detail. But twenty twenty six films, twenty six directors and change. There's a couple yeah. directing teams on there. Yeah, um, fifteen countries, I think. Could uh, even more possibly? I don't know. There's a lot in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so why don't you start? Tell me what you thought of it. Okay. So um, ABCs has been around as a project for quite some time. It's a, an idea that sort of bloomed out of Ant Timpson's imagination from when he was reading some ABCs books with his son, and he had an idea for an anthology film. Whether he thought he was going to make one before, I don't know. So he ended up throwing together this project with his partner in crime over in Austin, isn't he? Tim Lee? Tim Lee, yeah. Tim yeah. Lee, who runs the Alamo Draft, Draft House, yeah. founded the Alamo Draft House. Actually. And so they, they produced this and pulled it all together, really. So through their contacts, they managed to wrangle up a bunch of really interesting genre filmmakers from around the world, um, many of whom we've seen at the festival with their works uh, in previous years. So, for example, the person who did the letter A to begin the film was Nacho Vigalondo, who people might remember from Time Crimes. And uh, other people you might recognise are Ty West, who's uh, The Innkeepers played a couple of years ago, um, has a segment in there. Uh, Adam Wingard has one. The directors um, of Amer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Jason Meisner from Hobo with a Shotgun. Xavier Gens, who's, I think, Frontiers. Yeah, Frontiers. Played yep. one year. Yep. Won the honor of the one that I actually couldn't keep my eyes on the screen for. <laughs> yeah, that was um, quite a quite discomforting yeah. watch. <laughs> a few, yeah, there's. I mean, the nature of an anthology film, yeah. right? Like literally every anthology film ever is like, well, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, you know, so VHS, it's a mixed bag. But this one is, by the nature of being twenty six films, yeah. a very mixed bag, particularly in terms of tone. Yeah, um, there's very. Well, light, it, it, light, goofy things. Yeah, it run, runs the gamut of like yeah. pure comedy through to I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any really true horror, what I would call horror, but very much sort of some body horror stuff, black comedy. The Bigfoot one horror. is kind of a traditional horror. Yeah, I yeah. Suppose. oh yeah, I guess. Um, and um, there's surreal, a surreal one, and and um, and a lot of sort of twisted, sort of slightly twisted, messed up psychosexual sort of things. Yeah, not so slightly twisted in yeah, some yeah. cases. <laughs> uh, I, I, th- I think the quote at the start was that nobody should probably watch L. <laughs> yeah. Would, I mean, overall, it's 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 a it's a good amusement ride. There weren't that many films that I felt like 
would stand up outside of it. I would say, oh... Uh, as shorts, as, individual shorts. Yeah, yeah. If you were just to watch them as a short, as yeah. opposed to in the context of that, I'd say, oh, and uh, actually the contest winner, which... Um, oh, so 25 of the directors are handpicked. The 26th was an international contest where everybody submitted a short film. Yeah, or, who wanted for inclusion. To, and... Um, fellow named Lee Hardcastle, who's done various claymation things. He did an amazing claymation version of The Raid, which I've linked to before on my Twitter. Uh, did uh, Tea is for Toilet, and yeah. that wound up being the winner. And uh, It's fantastic. It, in fact, that's way up there in terms of the uh, the ones that I've actually submitted. That was number two for me, and it was, it was interesting how unrelated um, some of the director's previous work was in terms of quality with what was... Um, with the quality of their work in that. And I don't know yeah. if some people just kind of blew it off because it was yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, well, so yeah, it's hard to know, you know, yeah. whether they couldn't come up with ideas or they just didn't feel like they were squeezing it in between between projects, whereas someone like Lee, who's entering a competition, um, has, you know, just super motivation to do the best that he can. Yeah. And, and, and he's particularly talented. He's got, like, having seen some of his other little shorts subsequent to seeing his competition entry, he's done some pretty cool stuff and some pretty dark stuff. And but Have, his have you seen Tears for Talk? Uh, now, that was the runner-up that didn't make it, that was produced locally. That was, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, and that was fantastic as well. And that was, I thought that one was better than the uh, thing. And that was, I guess that was my main criticism of ABCs of Death is that I saw him in the Civic and kind of, um, the Civic's also often where the Auckland 48 Hours Finals happen. Mm. And I felt like, on average, the average Auckland 48 Hours Final was a stronger night of film than this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. That, and that was... And maybe... I, I'm not sure who that's being fair or unfair to, but that was... Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some moments that transcend anything yeah. in, in that context. I mean, obviously, nobody's going to be able to put together that intensive acclamation or the yeah. um, the, the Amer Filmmakers piece, yeah. which is just museum-quality yeah. masterwork as far as yeah. I'm concerned. But um, but yeah, but at the same time, it was a fun night out, and it's an it's an amazing feat of bringing all of that together. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly. Uh, uh, you know, hat, hats off to uh, Anton and Tim to for pulling that together. I think I had a better time with it than you did, and and there was a couple other friends who were kind of like, oh, this was kind of fun. I'm glad I went there, but the yeah. shorts themselves didn't really kind of do it for me. Whereas I think for me, I had maybe, I mean, there were, there were a couple of real clunkers that would really just awful pieces of filmmaking i thought and then there were you know some okay ones some quite good ones and then i had maybe six or seven that were i found really grabbed me and i and i really enjoyed what else was on your grab list well see O didn't make it onto mine (laughs) (laughs) did you like amir um i haven't seen it okay but i I can see what what appeals from it but in in the context of uh, of an anthology about the abc's of death that didn't really kind of work for you yeah work for me um i T was up there again yep. um, I really um, I quite enjoyed A it wasn't the best um, but I, I it was a good start I like Nacho's yeah. um, sort of twist to things D was interesting the dogfight one yeah although that wasn't at the top of my list it was still pretty high up there in terms of production value and, and the sort of the idea of it as a little kind of revenge tale twist I guess did you like Q? Q Adam Wingard's one I, I did enjoy it actually but I don't like things there are two films that directly referenced being part of the competition. Yeah. Um, and I guess kind of broke the conceit of being a short about thing and, and, and made a film about, oh, God, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? And, and 
Yeah, I guess there were some themes running through the entire thing that repeated quite a bit. But those two toilets. I, I don't, yeah. yeah, toilets. So many toilets. Um, or going to the toilet moments. I, I, those, I, I just didn't. Um, I don't like that kind of self conscious referencing of, of a project like that. But actually, I did really enjoy it. But actually, I did enjoy yeah. those two pieces. So W yeah. was the other one. That was more of a surreal kind of piece. And right at the start, when they started doing the list of, oh, what are we going to do it on? I thought, oh, here we go. But actually, by the end of it, that's one of my favourites. It just went super surreal, and there was a walrus. And, <laughs> and, and, the, and the way that every idea they got written on the board got looped into it. And it's it, super surreal, and there was a walrus. There's a <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess that when I was saying there's some that wouldn't stand alone. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing that those yeah. don't stand alone outside. Yeah. And similarly, like, um, one that I really enjoyed that I think would just maybe seem nothing on... Um, as a standalone thing, but N is for nuptial. With oh, the, N is for nuptial is fantastic. A little <laughs> yeah. bit of comedy. Yeah, yeah. It was just the perfect place where things had been getting quite messy and. That's like a great gory. little bit of sketch comedy, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was on uh, my list as well. N. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I really like Eisner's Y for Young Buck, which was. A lot of people have mentioned that one, and I, I think I just had such trouble with. Um, Xavier Gunn's X's for XXL oh, before yeah. that, which was just so... And that was on my list as well, the XXL. Yeah, a lot of... I mean, there a lot of people said that was the best one, and I just... I, I can't say that it's poorly made or whatever. Yeah. I just found, at that point, there were three or four that really felt like, well, I want to do something really fucked up, and then I'll pretend it's about the po- politics of it, so it's actually really important. You know, and I and L and um, oh, yeah, yeah. R all kind of fit into that, where yeah, it was yeah. like... Yeah, I, 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 I and I just I just struggle with that mentality a bit, I suppose. I heard that um, there was a little more two I in terms in terms of the context of where it was shot and some of the stuff that was going on around that. I was like, I didn't know much about it, and I kind of thought uh, I was. There's a vague reference in the credit about that mm. women are being kidnapped abducted, in Mexico yeah. all the time, but. Yeah. I, I personally, and I also hated his um, feature, We Are What We Are. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just really don't gel with his oh, okay. filmmaking. We Are What We Are, yeah, I didn't mind that. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, it wasn't my... Yeah, I th- there's just, there's just something about... I, I think I think if your, your goal is to make a difference in a social situation, I don't think that that <laughs> film is the most effective way to do it. And, yeah. and either he's really misguided... Or he's using a political situation as an excuse to make some crazy horror stuff. That's yeah, what yeah. he really wants to do. And I, I mean, I have that problem with a lot of filmmakers who say, "Oh, we're just reflecting how the world is." It's like, well, why don't you make a movie about some girl who sits at home in a room and posts cat gifs, mm. and you know, nothing happens to you because that happens too. You yeah, know? yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I went, and it was a good night out. Um, but yeah, I. I there's not there's not a whole many that I'd want to revisit, but it's a cool yeah thing. It's re- and I guess what's really exciting is is seeing like a producer from this country getting involved with international productions. Yeah, and yeah. that that's super exciting to yeah. me. That you know it's just another sort of way for us to branch out our international film culture. Yeah, yeah. In terms of people making stuff here, and I'm I'm not a fan of anthologies on the whole, but I did really enjoy that, and I you know I I I do something like that again. Yeah. Um, well, the good thing about it too is, um, I mean, if you get a dud in, say, a VHS style film, you're in for the next fifteen or twenty minutes, and mm-hmm. that's something I really appreciated about it. Is no mm-hmm. matter how difficult you're finding whatever you're watching to sit through, it's done in four minutes. Yeah, you know, you know, and be... so that, and that that is a virtue of it as well. So yeah. I think even like though maybe the hit ratio, hit to miss ratio, wasn't as high 
as I would have liked. Yeah. The sheer rapid fire of it. And, and a lot of films, for me, like, there were quite a few that had a fatal flaw, but ha- had different fatal flaws. So Angela Bettis' one, he is <laughs> exterminate. <laughs> like, I thought it was quite a cool concept, cool idea, yeah. but just the, the lead performance was a bit... Yeah, all yeah. over the place, and it had that very forty-eight hours, one room kind of yeah, yeah. feel to it. Um, conversely, like Kari Williams did this one with like a robot cop that looked like he'd like spent a yeah. hundred times the budget he'd been given. Yeah, but yeah, it, it did. It, it just didn't pop as an original story. No, it, it was amazingly it, impressive. It, it, for made, it made me feel budget, like but... feel like TV. That one, mm. I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, this is like a little bit of CGI budget yeah. and some. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, hopefully everybody in Wellington will still go check it out that's inclined oh I mean, yeah you know if you get you need a strong stomach yeah, but, yeah. um <laughs> there's yeah. discomforting moments but it's you know if, if you like horror stuff then i think you'll you'll enjoy it i mean i i dug it like i said i i'm, I'm not big on anthologies but i i really enjoyed the experience yeah. and and there were i mean for me there were seven that i actually really enjoyed which is about a third the alphabet or just under you know like, <laughs> um or you know a quarter to a third which is yeah. a pretty good ratio for me i mean i know for you and 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 Nige, that wasn't quite so successful but oh i'd say, I'd say i mean i guess it just depends level of enjoyment you know yeah. i mean i i'd say there's the thing is maybe the high points were so high that there was a strong yeah. big gap between the ones that i think were pretty good yeah um and I, there were quite a few that i thought were pretty good you know i mean yeah. i enjoyed all the japanese ones yeah, yeah um you know and there are three different ones of those yeah, there's, there's quite a few. So, yeah. The other thing I saw in the Civic this weekend, which oh, yeah. is about as removed from that as you can <laughs> get, was uh, Guys and Dolls, uh, the um, Joseph L. Mankiewicz adaptation of the musical, oh, yeah. starring um, Frank Sinatra, Marlon Brando, Gene Simmons. There um, were no toilets in that. There was not a single toilet in that. There was what not were they thinking? a. Um, Indonesian. Oh, we're not even. Gonna, I don't even think we should describe what happens in the Indonesian movie. And it um, so, what's your opinion on musicals generally? I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I must admit I did enjoy watching the older fifties, forties, fifties, like your Fred Astaire and Singing in the Rain, yeah, Bing Crosby sort of stuff. I actually quite enjoy. I used to watch a lot of those in black and white and stuff when I was a kid. Okay. They come on telly. Yeah, because see, I used to think I hated musicals. And then I watched Singing in the Rain, and I fell in love with it. I'm like, well, I hate all musicals except Singing in the Rain. <laughs> and then I watched more stuff, and I realized, actually, no, I just really don't like Moulin Rouge in Chicago. Yeah, and yeah, actually, yeah, it's exactly. Like, um, and contemporary musicals, but I'm kind of a sucker for 40s, 50s musicals. Yeah, yeah, musicals. Like contemporary musicals, uh, it's almost like they're trying to not be musicals so much. There's, or... a, I think there's a couple aspects to them. I think that... There, there's a great quote that somebody said about Chicago and the rapid fire editing in it. Oh. Um, and they're like, "Hey, quick question: Why didn't they cut during, um, you know, the Donald O'Connor dance scene and make him laugh? Because they didn't need to. And that's part of it, you know, is that yeah. you had people who were really capable and had been, you know, mm-hmm. dancing on stage and had yeah. that thing. Whereas that tends not to be part of many actors' upbringing yeah. these days." There's also this propensity now to make everything in Hollywood uh, gritty or something, which, you know, something like Guys and Dolls is not in any meaningful yeah. sense, you know, um, they are realistic. I mean, I guess Moulin Rouge doesn't really fit into that. I'm thinking more of like the Les Mis adaptation yeah. and things like that. But also there's just, yeah, there's just a, just sort of a charming naivete and um, sense of fun and play about the form. I mean, there's a, sort of the canonical, like, thing about how plot is really irrelevant to it. I yeah. think there's a great thing in Singing in the Rain where there's like a 12 minute scene where um, 
they're explaining to the studio had this idea they have for a movie and they go into this long dance number and is it Sid Cherise? Somebody's in it. And it just goes on and on. And then they cut back to the studio head and he's like, well, I can't see it, but I trust you anyway. You know? And it's just like, we just had that detour just for fun, just cause, you know? And that, it actually reflects some of my interest in art film in a way, you know, that it's a lot more about how you get there and the feel of that. Um, Guys and Dolls is interesting because... Frank Sinatra and Marlon Brando are not really obvious choices. I mean, Frank Sinatra can sing, but he's he's not not much of a dancer. Hmm. And that wasn't something I realized until about halfway through when I was like, you know, there's a lot of these musical numbers are quite static. Hmm. And then um, there's a big craps game near the end, and um, everyone else is moving around the screen like madcap. And Frank's big move is to spend two-thirds of it crouching and then, like, slowly get up and lean against a wall. <laughs> um, Marlon Brando and Gene Simmons have a bit more moves. But, again, they're not necessarily people that no, have Marlon really Brando been associated, Mar- Marlon Brando in particular, with that. And so I think, like, people who are diehard musical fans might find themselves disappointed. I just love seeing Marlon Brando smile. I just love <laughs> seeing, like, this sheer kind of, you know, candy floss plot uh, candy-colored film, you know, it's a very colorful look at the gangster life. And also the use of language. Um, I'm not really familiar with Damon Runyon, whose um, sort of hard-boiled work it's based on. Mm. Apparently he does not like the use of contractions, and so uh, everything that everybody says is in this precise language yeah. that's, that is quite confusing and specific. And for a while I was counting on my fingers and trying to work out if it was iambic pentameter or something. Oh, yeah. But um, no, it's just them having a lot... Uh, laugh with like giving these gangsters some very florid <laughs> language. So yeah, good, good fun, good to see on the big screen. Um, not a breathtaking restoration. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I missed uh, Lawrence of Arabia yeah. in 4K, which by all accounts was well, a breathtaking yeah. restoration. Yeah, but, um, as well. Ah, lives and illnesses and yeah. th- th- magic. So um, there's a lot more coming up, and hopefully. By the time you hear this, it is still coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what? Um, so yeah, a bunch of stuff that yeah. in Auckland will be playing at the academy. Yeah, over the over the next week, there's sort of like I guess a mini sort of world cinema showcase okay. of maybe like eight or ten films that would have been in that, and then a couple of retros after yeah. that. So, um, I mean, like uh, a couple that I haven't had a chance to see is like Antiviral, yeah. the Brandy new film. But yeah, the first film by David Cronenberg's son. Uh, which my friends who saw at Fantastic Fest quite admired. Yeah. And then um, Olivia Sayas, who did um, Summer Hours and yeah. uh, Demon Lover, has a film called After May yep. that's playing. But uh, And then there's also some uh, documentaries. Yeah, so and... I, I caught um, one of the documentaries um, coming is the War on Drugs sort of documentary, or a look at the impacts of the War on Drugs on the American... I guess landscape and legal landscape and and how it's sort of affected various um, sort of socioeconomic and and, um, ethnic groups in in the States by a filmmaker called Andrew Jurecki? Eugene. Eugene Jurecki. (laughs) I was thinking, I've seen Andrew Jurecki. Isn't he capturing the Freedmen's? Yes, Yes. I think so. Yeah, so Eugene Jurecki. He did Why We Fight. uh, Yes, and I think he might have done something else as well. I think so, yeah. Anyway, he's done this film, this documentary called uh, The House I Live In, and... It's a, it's an interesting documentary. Like a lot of documentaries, I guess it's the subject matter is very strong and quite compelling. I mean, I'm I'm not from the states, um, but I have some idea about at least about the the language around the war on drugs and how that whole sort of thing blew up around our lifetime in like the early '80s and what have you. 
and then the sort of the epi- epidemic, as you were, with um, crack cocaine and, and, and how that sort of became a big thing when I was a kid. And so there's some interest about what this is all about and how it sort of played out. Uh, he, he sort of starts it from a very sort of personal premise where he has a close relationship with uh, an African-American family who have families been directly kind of torn apart by um, drug-related legal issues um, and problems. Um, and he, so he sort of come from a point of saying, what's happening here? And then finding out some of the details about what's happened to, to um, Nanny Jettos, the main woman's name, um, family, who used to be uh, work as a housekeeper for his family when he was younger. And, and finding out about what happened with them and then finding out some of the, the legal issues around what's happened to them and then going, wow, how can this be? Yeah. Um, and then looking into it from there. And so he puts together a documentary which I, I would say is not great filmmaking per se. It's not particularly artistic or well-constructed. Um, it's quite didactic, and it's. Um, I don't think it's poorly constructed. No, I don't I think, think it's not poorly. I, th- constructed. I think it's. I, I mean, it's definitely didactic. It's yeah. definitely, and that was. And, and he's, um, and he's my got, biggest problem. He's got it. big bias, obviously. Yeah. Except that, except that he's very f- upfront about it. He doesn't pretend that he's not. Oh, he totally does, though. That's what? my. He, he says like. Oh, you know, I was curious about this whole drug thing, so I thought I'd take a closer look and see what was going on. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just see if I can get. You know, the whole narration is that he's never somehow thought about the drug war until oh, this right, moment. Until this moment. And yeah. then, like, I'm just going to have an explore, and like, I'm just going to happen to be talking to David Simon, who yeah, you know yeah. you could, who at one point is equating the drug war to the Holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I found that. I found that a bit frustrating. In that, oh, yeah. like, I I think there's a place for polemics. I think there's yeah. a place for... Um, and I think there's a topic that deserves it. I mean, I, yeah. I've told... Um, I have a pro- close personal connection to this and that mm. I actually worked for one of the group's profiles. What's the name of the... It, Families Against Mandatory Minimums. Oh, that's right. So yeah. there's an issue in the States in that the, during the war on drugs, in order to appear tough on crime... Congress passed these laws called mandatory minimum sentencing yeah. that basically removed judicial discretion from sentencing. Yeah. So, um, and set these sort of absolute minimum five years Ten for years, possession of uh, yeah, yeah of certain charges. Uh, and so you're getting people who get um, longer jail sentences for drug possession than they than other people are getting for murder. Yeah, you know, and and for ludicrous things. And there's also some very dubious things built into this and this film gets a lot of mileage out of exploring one of the things that I was working on in 1994 and has only come close to being addressed in the Obama administration yeah. Yeah. which shows how difficult these issues are which is yeah. the um, disparity between crack and powder cocaine and, yeah. sentencing whereas um, uh, 500 grams of, cra- of um, powder cocaine carries a five year mandatory minimum five, five years uh, or sorry, five, five grams, grams of crack yeah. is the so same thing. So it's a hundred to one sentencing minimum sentencing ratio between crack and powder cocaine but the actual difference between the drug themselves is very very minimal. Well crack's actually watered down well, technically. Powder, yeah. you know? And um, I mean there was a story when I was working for them about an undercover agent who taught um, somebody how to cook crack right. cocaine so yeah. they could bust them for that and you know there's lots of um, dubious stories but it, at the end it is this whole thing of completely removing judicial discretion yeah. and recognizing what people actually yeah. deserve. And there's a judge that you know, discusses how he stepped down because he felt like his job was now to preside over injustice yeah. as a result of that. So it's it's a film that I, on one level I feel strongly everybody should see because it's a polemic that I yeah. 
agree with, and I think um, I think there's a lot of parallel. There are a lot of sentencing issues in New Zealand right now. Mm. There's a lot of overcrowded prisons, and so yeah. I mean, there's some documentaries that come here that are like you know they'll be about American malpractice law or something, you know, and, yeah, and it's yeah. like kind of like. I, I'm not even sure why anyone in this country really wants to know cares that much. You know, I mean, I guess other than the general, everybody loves feeling superior to America and New Zealand. But I, this one, I feel like is very germane to a lot of the problems this mm. country is maybe not even conscious that yeah. it's facing right now. But um, I know that some people who work in those areas that are very aware that there are a lot of sentencing issues going on right now here and a lot of prison overcrowding issues yeah. and a lot of issues around drug sentencing that need to be addressed. Yeah. And, yep. and the purpose of justice. I think that's, I, on a philosophical level, I think that's the most interesting takeaway that transcends any culture or any individual yeah. history is like, why do we put people in prison? What are we expecting? Are we trying to change them? Yeah. And if not, then why are we doing yeah, it? Or well, why are we expecting things will be different when they come out? Uh, the, one of the things that he's big on is uh, or he, he interviews several people who are quite clearly quote-unquote law and order people, but who yeah, like, as you say, like the judge who felt like he was um, administering injustice and um, some prison um, security guys and, and wardens who are talking about you know, it feels like we're punishing people um, not because of their crime but because of our fear mm-hmm. and and they're paying for that yeah and yeah just the the sort of the big disparity and, <laughs> and, and interesting things like the way that's that it's impacted policing the amount of resources mm. that go into policing and the kind of policing that happens now and that is rewarded because of um wanting to get the the stats up on drug busts to get these criminals off the street and the yeah, and, and then making something like drug possession small level drug possession equivalent to murder or rape or what have you which is just ridiculous and yeah it'll be interesting to see um it's one of those things that well, i think is softly eroding in the states as several states have now legalized marijuana mm-hmm. and just for medicals no no actually um, washington and wow. uh, colorado have now legalized marijuana oh wow um, i didn't know so, that so I, i'm not sure if colorado's has fully taken effect yet but yeah. i know that washington's has and so um yeah obviously medical marijuana has been making inroads for a while yeah. but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's the same thing where, like, you know, with gay marriage, where it's like there's a few states that recognize gay marriage, and it's yeah. but because of the the nature sure. of the states, yeah. every oh, and the songs, state yeah. has well, yeah, but also it's like every state it has, has its own thing. It's not like New Zealand, where like you know, if each city had to recognize gay marriage, you know, Auckland yeah, yeah. might be there well before some other yeah, yeah. parts of the country. But it's all an all-in-one kind of thing. So um, you know, maybe New Zealand will eventually follow that lead in looking yeah. at some of its drug laws. Mm. Mm. So that's, I mean, th- those are some of the new films. I mean, there's a yeah. few others. Um, the Deep is another one that looks interesting in terms of a yeah. um, sea rescue one. Um, Bill Ga- I ta- saw Bill Gosden briefly at the uh, thing, and he said it was very much a film of two halves, because oh, the yeah. first half is the sea part, and the second part is him trying to fit back into society so and explain this amazing solo adventure they survived and people not believing him in that. So yeah. I guess if you you go to that one, be it would help to be aware that it's not going to be... <laughs> That the whole time. But yeah, the retrospectives. um, Yeah, I've been a big fan of the retrospectives historically and been disappointed that we haven't had them in recent years. And um, actually, the only chance to see 35 mil in this festival is in um, the one of the retrospectives, uh, the As God for Hardy. Yeah. Is that even? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Who um, 
probably does not ring a bell until I say a separation. A separation, yeah. Which we, you know, was one of the most lauded films of the 20, last cla- 11, 2011. Yeah, yeah. To, into twenty twelve. I yeah. won the best foreign film in twenty twelve. Oh, Steven yeah. Spielberg was like, "Oh, this is the best film I've seen." Sean Penn's like, "I want to be in your next movie." Um, <laughs> so on and so forth. It was just like, yeah, it was just one of those um, films that really got a lot of traction mm. and. Um, you know, as with a lot of breakout films, there's a whole history behind that. Yeah. That apart from his previous film about Ellie, which I'd heard about in passing, I wasn't even really aware of what he'd done. And mm. um, now we've got four of his films. And you've yeah. seen all four? Yeah, I've seen all four. Right. I've seen one. Um, but maybe, maybe you could talk about what... If somebody could see one of those films, which would you recommend and why? Ooh. Or is that too tough of a question? Should we give a bullet point overview? Well, two. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, go, I'll talk about all of them. But I'd say if you're going to see one... Mm. I would choose between Fireworks Wednesday or About Ali. Fireworks Wednesday's the one prior to About Ali, I believe, and it is. I mean, he's one of those directors or auteurs who are who is, seems to be for the most part w- working on the same kind of idea through multiple iterations and slightly different circumstances, but a similar set of key ideas that he's kind of working through, which um, some people connect with or, or, or not. Um, so. Like, I know you're not a fan of his <laughs> Are we gonna style get into filmmaking. This? So should we talk about what a Farhadi film is? Yeah. And, like, I think... I, the thing is, I think, even though we have very different opinions on we can both basically agree that um, his films are about these sort of moral dilemmas posed yeah. against the legal backdrop of contemporary Iranian right. society yeah. and characters struggling to resolve the dilemmas that are created by law is yeah. that I mean I haven't seen as many as you yeah yeah but, um, so uh, and I think and um, generally I would add to that and I suppose where the movie well law and culture and like um the the cultural taboos that you have to kind of traverse right. as well yeah um, it's, it's all wrapped up the whole kind of legal religious um cultural modes of um operating are, are all very much wrapped up and I mean some of those are things that put you off. In terms of like, <laughs> cultural modes of relating, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's. Uh, I mean, we've talked before on these uh, about how I don't really love things where people yell at each other, and um, there's a lot and of yelling. Boy, for how, yeah, they all do because I've seen I've seen um, Beautiful City now as well as a Separation. <laughs> In a Separation, I almost fled the theater. I mean, it's it's one of the most lauded films of the past year, and it's beautifully shot, and it's well acted, and it's it's reasonably well written. I have a problem with two things fundamentally in Farhadi yeah. one and one is the yelling which I mean I've watched a lot of Iranian film you know it's not like he's the first Iranian filmmaker, filmmaker I've yeah. seen um, you know I've seen the Kiristami <laughs> films and yeah. with Mabaf and um, yeah. you Panahi. know the um, Panahi and also uh, Majid Majidi and mm. um, there was you know this time for drunken horses yeah yeah and, and there can be a bit of aggression in those but there I don't remember them mostly being wall-to-wall people yelling at each <laughs> other um, oh the White Meadows which played several oh, years ago which is a you know, I missed, but I, yeah. gorgeous film. Oh man, that's probably the best Iranian film I've seen in mm. uh, you know ages. Um, which probably sounds like a really backhanded compliment. <laughs> it's just one of the best films I've seen. Period in the last yeah. several years. And I guess you know, I mean, we've talked before about my social realism, yeah, by anti bias, where there's kind of um, this thing where you have the combination of sort of a very written, cooked scenario, yeah, combined with what feels like realism in the filmmaking to give it this weight of being realistic mm. but actually like because you can feel the writing i kind of rebel against that i kind of feel like ah oh, you've just set this up to make me feel this way yeah you know i, I can it, understand yeah. what you're saying but at the yeah. same time 
any given set of scenarios, like the scenarios that he writes into his films, are obviously very written and, and for to, to make a certain point and to, to kind of yeah. get to his ends. But they're nothing outside of what would be experiences for for everyday people. I think I think the thing and, that's, and, and, that's consistent that I've seen is kind of everybody gives each other the doubt of the benefit, or you know, just like <laughs> is is like unwilling. There's know, they're, they're, they're decisions, fears. yeah, and and there there's always like everybody is making the worst possible decision. Yeah, I, to resolve I, this is things a similar issue that you moment. had with Tate Shelter, I think, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is what yeah. I thought you were <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, th- I, I think that, yeah, there's... Yeah, t- take Shelter was a bit more unrealism, I think, to yeah. a certain degree. It just it just didn't feel... Yeah, it, it didn't feel realistic in a different way right, to me. Yeah. It's like it just felt implausible. Whereas this, I think, is just like... Um, it's rooted in such a um, depressing view of humanity, which may be deserved. And these, I suppose it's, you know, these case studies... Yeah. Um, they're not implausible. These people exist. Disputes yeah. happen. Um, but, but also, it's, there are, there, it's, yeah. it's like it's a very compressed situation that, that he rolls mm. through. It's not like a life story. And so people respond in unideal ways, and we all do at certain times. Mm. And then you look back on a situation and go, wow, I wish I hadn't acted like that. So for for me, I, 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 that that stuff doesn't bug me so much because I well, think you and everyone else who watched a separation yeah, this stuff can happen in life, um, mm. and he's got it here, and it's making quite a good point. And yeah, I just I just don't because there's don't a big example film... of that in mm. in about Ali actually, which right. I really liked. Um, about Ali is um, his one prior to a separation, I believe, and it's about a group of um, kind of middle class friends from Tehran who go on a holiday to a, a waterside place. And there's a bunch of and, and there's a whole bunch of cultural rules about who can be there. So they have to be kind of family or, or well known to each other. You can't sort of just invite anyone along. And someone does get invited along by one of the um, wives, and she claims, oh, you know, they, they know her from, from somebody. And this is the the person Ellie, who about Ellie, yeah. um, who essentially throws a sparrow in the works and causes all the stuff to sort of go on. And she's you know, absent for a good part of the film. Because it's about uh, about how people deal with her being in the situation, right. um, and the social and religious and legal kind of implications of that, and so there is very much um, a, a strain that kind of holds this together. Is this one particular person who invited her is almost stubborn unwillingness to to make rational decisions, <laughs> yeah. which causes a lot of the stuff. Um, but you can actually kind of follow her reasoning to how she got there, and you would not, you, even though you might say, "Well, I just wouldn't have done that." I, I can live with that because the drama that it creates and, and the, the dramatic tension and situations that they explore and the relationship stuff they explore is actually really interesting. Yeah, um, I guess I guess I think fundamentally I don't trust movies that are trying to make a political point. Hmm. Um, and like I, I I hate I shouldn't bring this film up again, but I will. Like the Red House has a lot of political content hmm. and stuff about it, but it's more. It's not a didactic film that you hmm. get out like, oh, this is the point of this film, yeah, that yeah. you should be an activist, or that yeah. you should fight land use change, or that the world's dying and it's a terrible thing. But it, it has those ideas yeah. about these various political topics that you can dwell and explore, but it's not fundamentally trying to change it. it you know, yeah, it's, well, it's not, it's not guess who's coming to dinner, you know? Yeah. Um, and those kind of... I, I feel like there's three movies that get nominated for Academy Awards every year that yeah, are all yeah. about... You know, if we just if we just change this thing in society, it'll make a big difference. And it's like, well, you've set up this scenario to create this political point. Have you seen the color wheel? 
incidentally. Yeah. I, when your description about Ellie sort of reminded me of the color wheel in a oh, certain yeah. way, which I just recently saw, where you have another character, two characters who are really difficult to like, mm. who cause a lot of trouble for everyone around them mm. and act in really obstreperous ways, mm. but it doesn't feel like it's trying to make a political well, point. Well, yeah. It's it's in fact it's quite heightened. It's not yeah that realistic, but it's also like kind of it's more about exploring character sympathies. Yeah. And sort of an obscure sense of comedy, uh-huh. and I, uh, I found that a lot more interesting of a film. And I don't think I would have found it as interesting if it turned out that in the end, oh, her character actually has like dissociative disorder, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. we need to be more, yeah. we need to put more money into dissociative <laughs> disorder, or something like that. You yeah. know, that, it, um, it see, really, I think yeah. that's a harsh criticism of some of the Hardys. I, maybe that's a bit more in a separation, or maybe I see it less. But um, about Ellie, I think is yeah, I haven't seen about Ellie, so it may not be but, as. See, present, I think yeah. a separation as well. Um, I think it's less about making a huge political point about. The society here needs to change. I think there's definitely some shades of what we th- see as cultural, perhaps cultural repression. Whether we see that more being outside the situation and it's completely divorced from our um, reality, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of interested to see how it would play to a local audience. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because I mean, obviously, Iranian filmmakers have recently come under heavy heavy scrutiny, heavy yeah. scrutiny and I, I would imagine if, that Farhadi would be trying yeah. to play down any yeah. attempt at saying this is and this, and trying this... to change. The laws, and maybe that, and maybe that's playing mm. on a more subtle level that I feel like I'm picking up on more than because because there's some legal intended. stuff that you think okay yeah they could be gunning for some change, but at the same time this is the system or the or the country or the society or social structure that they that the people live in, and hence any drama that comes out of it is going to be referencing and be negotiating those things. You yeah. can't get away from it. Yeah, I guess. And, and, and yeah. we we would instantly read that as my goodness, this is oppressive and obviously he's gunning for some change. But actually, it'd be very difficult to make a film without, in a kind of a dramatic, melodramatic way, with a narrative like the ones that he has, without engaging in those. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the thing, is that I'm not questioning the skill with which he accomplishes mm. his goal. I'm questioning the goal. Because about Ellie, and also Fireworks Wednesday, but also a separation, I, I think, to a degree, maybe a lesser degree, to me didn't feel like a... This has happened. It's all wrong. Like, uh, and the system is screwed. We need to abolish the system or, or retool it completely. It was more people find themselves in situations and they don't always make the best decisions. Um, and how do we kind of negotiate these things? Like, so a separation, which a lot of people probably would have seen, isn't playing. Probably a good reference point to talk about without spoiling the yeah, the ones that are the ones that are coming. You've got a situation with husband and wife who are separating for reasons that are kind of largely unexplained, and with a daughter who stays with the father and some family obligations looking after his father, which kind of throws some spanners in the works there. Um, and then he gets some housekeepers in. There's a whole lot of cultural issues around who you can hire, and, and the lady that he gets in is trying to hide it from her husband because that's not a kosher thing for her to be doing because they don't know the family. And then... Something goes wrong, and there's an incident where the lady ends up getting hurt. Um, and but but there's a whole bunch of decisions that people make in that situation where tempers flare, people are acting in some ways unreasonably, but you can understand because of the pressure of what's going on yeah. and and the dramatic stuff that's been put in place, written and written as you say. Um, but they have to kind of negotiate how the the situation after they've decided to act a certain way, and they continue to either make good decisions or bad decisions and 
I'll backtrack and agree with you. I think that like because that's not um, about the, the that's not about the legal or, or religious system that they're in. That's about their own moral and ethical kind of decisions in a situation that are, that is also tempered by their financial situation and all sorts of. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. And Beautiful City, which I've watched as well. Um, of the, of them all, that was probably the least my least favorite. But I would I would say also like that ultimately it's less to do about the systemic problems mm. than the individual's unwillingness mm. to mm. indulge in the solution that's provided mm. by that system. And maybe that's okay. Um, yeah, it, it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I that's cool. Had it better. I just, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it is probably not fair to say that it's a guess what, who's coming to dinner social <laughs> drama. It's not promised land and this yeah. is the fracking story yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it is very much a characters as chess pieces that have been optimized for the maximum level of conflict. And I I guess that's what I felt at every turn, is that every character could not be more backed into their individual corner. Thanks to that, it's kind of like those O. Henry stories, you yeah. Know, where and there's th- these ironic twists, and it's all yeah. there's that, and you feel and O. Henry stories are kind of cool, right? Because you know you have these little key turns and yeah. key turns, and oh, there's a little bit of an ironic payoff, yeah. and they're ten pages, <laughs> yeah. and and they don't yell at each other because <laughs> 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 is so. it cats? No. <laughs> but, um, one of the other things that I would comments that I make for me, and I quite like. Um, what I think of as social realist cinema on the whole, I would say for Hardy falls somewhere between kind of social realism and melodrama, much more than, say, Dardenne films or Ken Loach films, which are sort of films that you either like or really hate. Whereas I think for Hardy, actually, his films aren't your cup of tea, but but I would say that he's more towards the melodrama end of the scale compared to those filmmakers. Um, And so his... The writtenness of his pieces um, has less of an impact on me because of that. Because he's—it's more actually about character melodrama and character negotiating very sort of a set set of circumstances. It's interesting because I mean, when you say melodrama, the first thing I think of is Fassbender, and I do love Fassbender mm-hmm. films. You know, like Ali yeah. Fear Eats the Soul and yeah. uh, Marriage of Maria Braun, and they do kind of actually traffic in a similar sort of space. Mm. But those films are also very heightened yeah. on a lot of levels and you know um in an art direction performance yeah. camera yeah. music kind of way and so it's giving over to sort of the escapism of the melodrama yeah. Yeah. universe where it's acknowledged yeah and i think that's the tension i feel in for howdy's films yeah. is that these sort of melodramatic plot twists within a realist framework. framework yeah or yeah or acidic, yeah yeah exactly and yeah, I mean, maybe I just struggle with a realist aesthetic in general. And some of that is a problem. Yeah. Po- no, no, okay, I'm not going to make that argument. Um, oh, come on, it sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> For people who really like the separation, I think you would do well to get to all of his films if you can. About Ali is probably the most similar to a separation, I guess. And it's the only one that's showing digitally. The other three oh, are on 35mm, if yeah. that matters to you. Um, Fireworks Wednesday is a fantastic little piece. About Ali is, is, is much more of a uh, an ensemble piece with a lot of couples doing uh, having a lot of uh, dramatic times together, whereas probably a separation and Fireworks Wednesday have more of a focus on 
two or three main characters and then the people that they kind of bump into rather rather than uh, a true ensemble. But yeah, Fireworks Wednesday is, is a fantastic piece, very um, a very interesting piece. And Fireworks Wednesday refers to uh, I think it's around New Year anyway, where they have this sort of fireworks night that um, that occurs in the film um, towards the end of the end of the film. Um, but there's there's a lot of kind of raucous young people running around the streets, sort of lighting fires and and doing things not unlike what happened on the Panahi um, This Is Not A this Film This Is Not A Film yeah um, so whether that was at a, set in a similar time I'm not sure his first film that was that's playing um, uh, I think it's Dancing In The Dust is slightly different that's much like A Beautiful City that one's set more in a kind of a working class context whereas the other ones are in a very much in a middle class context in terms of characters but it also has a bit more of the out in the desert um, sort of feel yeah so Dancing In The Dust uh, and it has that's the one with the snakes in it right yeah with the snakes in it and it has um, the main character is a young guy who finds himself in a relationship and then is under a sort of cultural pressure to maybe back out of that or or, or um, and he's not quite sure what decision to make and so he ends up sort of making all these weird decisions and ends up in the desert with the snake hunter um, and he's very much an over the top character very there's a bit of young screaming, whereas the guy he's with is um, very not as as kind of the stoic guy who just kind of puts it's, up it's, young it's, it's some of the classic Hollywood sort of thing of you have the really talky guy um, <laughs> who's always in the face of the other guy who's kind of slowly frustrated, but then eventually kind of develops somewhat of a, a minor bond with this person, and uh, you know it's so basically it's forty eight hours. No. <laughs> 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 is no. it more 48 hours or more another 48, 48 hours? That's, yeah. that's the key thing to explore. Yeah. Uh, but I found that just a little bit, had a slightly different um, tone and feel to it than some of the later ones, um, which made it, it gave an extra level of interest. Like for me, that one, that one was um, much better than um, Beautiful City, which was a little more slow moving, a little less kind of character interest. But uh, for me, it was still okay. I didn't mind it, um, but it, it was kind of several steps back from his other his other ones. Fireworks Wednesday is fantastic. About Ali, I really loved as well. So yeah, if a separation is your thing, um, I would definitely get to at least one of those um, previous ones. Um, well, I'm tempted. I might we'll go see Fireworks them. Wednesday just to see yeah. something on 35 millimeter. Yeah, I, I've realized I've literally only seen one 35 millimeter print since I came back to New Zealand in January. Mm. And, uh, and, and that was a Crispin Glover film that was shot, oh, yeah. on, like, <laughs> shot on VHS or something. Yeah. So, and it's, um, it's great acting, um, and his filmmaking, has, you can see, has sort of developed in terms of some of the craft uh, across the A films. Separation is a very well-crafted film. Yeah. And, I mean, he is a good filmmaker. And I yeah, think well, but you can see the development yeah. of that across the films as he, as he makes them. Some of the yeah. craft um, quality increases. Maybe that's to do with experience, possibly some budgets as well. So should we talk about the other yes. perspective? So, so yeah, so you you haven't seen much Godard. No, just okay. one or two. What have you seen? And now I'm sort of thinking, is it Godard that I'm thinking, or <laughs> am I thinking of one of those other French dudes? Who did Hail Mary? Uh, that's Godard. Yes. I've not seen Hail Mary. Yeah. There's a lot of Godard films. There's um, Yeah. And so to, it, it, it's a very Godard mini retrospective. Yeah. I mean, um, his... Is this four? Uh, three, three. Yeah. Uh, Vivre Sa Vie, my life, which mm. is aka My Life to Live, mm. uh, Band Apart, aka mm. Band of Outsiders, and that's a big. That's one of his big ones that I've, I know know of that I haven't seen. Yeah, and uh, Perel Les Fou. It's it's a really well chosen set as a good fun intro to Godard. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of Godard films that cannot be characterized as fun. Um, yeah. There are some that are a lot of hard work. 
I saw My Life to Live a long time ago. I don't remember it very well. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to withhold comment on it other than I'm keen to check it out again. Band Apart, uh, I'll start with first, is probably most famous to a lot of people as... Um, you know, Tarantino's production company is called A Band, Band Apart, Apart. Mm. and a lot of his, I suppose, aesthetic is taken, well, it's taken from everywhere, but, you know, a lot of it can be tracked, a certain playfulness can be tracked back to Godard. Uh, it's a black and white crime film that is very silly and sad and strange all at once. Mm. Um, a lot of filmic playfulness in there, the um, musical break. <laughs> in there um it's yeah it's it's a great kind of intro i think to godard that's a bit more crafted than some of his you know earliest breathless and things like mm. that um but still playing with sort of pop tropes mm. uh quite a bit um you know there's that all you need to make a, a movie is a girl and a gun quote yeah. that godard has one of many yeah, things that you know he may Hopefully. says at any time, and, and he he's notorious for being cantankerous and like saying things to be provocative and what yeah. have you. And so, like some of his films, like Weekend, for instance, you know, <coughs> you get to a certain point and it gets interrupted with a several minute black nationalist speech, <laughs> what have you, and you're just like, oh my god, you know. And these film, this film isn't that. And um, but the one I'm even more excited about was the film that really got me into Godard, uh, Pere Le Fou. Yeah. But Band of Outsiders is a black and white. Pere Le Fou is a gorgeous, gorgeous color film. Yeah. And in it, I think you can kind of even see more clearly what Godard's doing and sort of taking these Hollywood tropes and kind of just, like, playing with them in a really fun, weird way, just sort of poking at them and being critical of them, but acknowledging what's fun about them all at once and so you know it's the guy and the girl guy and the girl on the lamb yeah from the law uh and so the, a very safe sort of arc to fit everything in and I, it's actually been about 13 or 14 years since i've seen it um so i'm not going to get everything right about it but it is a surreal technicolor dream that kind of you know on an individual frame by frame basis can kind of seem like it's operating like a Hollywood film, yeah. but doesn't, and then has these strange digressions, like there's a party near the start, and one of the party guests is the director, Sam Fuller, who, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, who did Shot Corridor and The Naked Kiss yeah. and a lot of other famous crime films. And there's a lot of that sort of thing in Godard, where there's yeah. this very um, referential quality to the work that he admired. And of course, mm. um, Godard was a critic before he was yeah. a director, and so a lot of his... Um, you know, the whole French New Wave, a lot of them yeah. were critics, and a lot yeah. of their thing was rehabilitating um, disrespected American genre directors who were not as well esteemed as the people who did serious social work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and so they would find these directors like Sam Fuller, who, you know, thought, well, you can see the expression and personality in every Sam Fuller film and, and really esteem that and mm. so turned around to embrace that in a film like Pere Le Fou mm. um, and kind of acknowledge that while having still Godard's flavor and there you know a lot of the um, sort of meta filmmaking qualities that mm. um, are quite common now for, yeah. you know as Godard was somebody who I mean obviously he didn't invent them you know man with a movie camera had <laughs> meta qualities 30 years prior but yeah. really addressed them in sort of a pop way so yeah. Um, really just, Godard, Godard gets often tarred with the kind of 
beard scratchy intellectual yes his films are so deep and meaningful and um you know yeah there's there's some films of his which are quite a challenge but these are super fun and yeah. i hope that people give them a look because they really yeah. deserve that and they're great to talk about afterwards too. yeah so, well, it's yeah. one of those filmmakers that you kind of think of as being sort of crucial to film history that that yeah. i'm really light on so i'd be quite keen to to catch up on some of them so it's yeah. a so, very good opportunity to do that yeah, I mean, it's 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 slightly sad that there aren't more um, films in this year. I do miss the World Cinema Showcase yeah. having so many films. I do worry that some films are going to slip through the radar because we do have these other festivals, but some of them seem to be not as well curated in terms yeah. of... It's more seems to be what was popular in that country or what has... Uh, what's a food-related film that they can yeah, show or whatever. Yeah. One festival that I do think that I didn't get to as much to as I like because I was sick, but it, I do think is on the rise is the Documentary Edge Festival. Yeah, yeah. Which I managed to catch quite a few films at. And, um, you know, a few years back, I, I have to confess, I wasn't super impressed by their programming. It seemed like every once in a while something of interest snuck through by accident. Yeah. Um, and it was largely issue of the week. Yeah, and there still are quite, there are quite a few issue films but um they, uh, <laughs> not not all of which are bad you know <laughs> you don't have to convince me man oh uh, yeah yeah no, no. Uh, 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 yet another minority viewpoint that i have but um i did i don't i don't want to do a big um festival or review yeah. on parks that you know nigel and i got drunk and wrote one up for auckland cinephile <laughs> but um i do want to talk about a really awesome film that i don't know what kind of life it's going to have in new zealand i know that it's going on itunes soon and there's this whole digital distribution mm. thing so maybe it'll come out some way uh it's called only the young yeah yeah um, i read up read up that that sounded really interesting yeah um and it's a hard film to sell because it's basically follows coming of age film then. yeah well <laughs> that this is how good only the young is <laughs> it's a coming of age film and it will probably make my top 10 of the year wow i mean unless unless it's just a knockout of a film festival yeah oh you know i mean it's basically the these two guy friends and this girl that's sort of dating one of them and they're these skaters that are living in california in some kind of obscure exurb somewhere um where there's kind of past a suburb it's just an outlying kind of area that doesn't seem you know like it's on it just seems like this random settlement that's kind of... Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there, I mean, there's enough stuff there that it seems like it's maybe a 20 or 30 person, thousand person town, maybe oh, more. Yeah. Um, so it's not small, but it's not like... It seems like it was once bigger and that yeah. it's being slowly abandoned. Yeah. The film doesn't really talk about that. The film's entirely... It's interesting because it's entirely observational. But it's, it's enti- Is it a documentary? It is a documentary. Yeah. But it's shot entirely with tripods. Oh. Or like I think like ninety eight percent with tripods, and so how does that work? <laughs> well, so when when I say observational, it's like they the way they would do it is they would set up um, uh, the tripods and have them do whatever they were doing, you know, yeah. and just film them skating or whatever, and then afterwards they'd sit down and have an interview with them. So I, when I say it's entirely observational, that's not quite true because there are these sort of interview yeah. pieces to camera, although like you don't ever hear them being asked questions; it's just yeah. them kind of interacting, but. Um, you know, it's the the sort of production value that you actually get by just framing a shot and letting it sit and let, you know, two people just sitting on the top of an abandoned drain pipe and looking over this kind of decaying city and being 17 and trying to figure out what's going on. It's very much, I mean, I am very interested in films about identity and one of the things that, and also I'm slightly face blind, um, and I often re- 
rely on cues like hair and things oh, like yeah. that. And this film was a bit challenging in that because these kids just keep changing their hairstyles. They're trying to work out what they are. And did, did this massive contradiction? How long was it shot over? Uh, it felt like it was over a year. It felt okay. like it was their last year of school. Oh, and, yeah. Um, they're all you know about to go off, and there's this kind of um, you know, is the friendship going to maintain? Is it not going to? Are they going to drift apart? And mm. it really wisely underplays a lot of its potential melodrama. Yeah. In that, in favor of just letting it unfold and be around these kids as they're trying to figure out all these things about their lives. It's it's a gorgeous film, and yeah, one of my favorites of the year. So, oh, yeah, and easily... Um, I mean, there's, there are a number of other quite good films I saw at Dock Edge. I mean, one other I'll mention in passing is a film called I Am Breathing, which I think a lot of people would... Um, immediately pass on because it's about a guy dying of motor neuron disease, oh. which uh, is a degenerative nervous system disease where you stop being able to move, move. parts of your yeah. body. And um, yeah, it's sad. I don't think anybody could make that film and have it not be sad. Yeah. But it, there is actually a lot of humor in the film and also a lot of beauty in the filmmaking. Mm. Uh, and so I think it's. Uh, and the the character who's slowly passing away it, it was writing a blog, um, which uh, is very difficult when you only have control of the computer over your voice. Yeah. Which is, but at the time we meet him in the film, is where things are at, mm. um, and is stubborn and determined and bound to find the humor in mm. even the darkest of his situations, even as he's planning for his demise as the disease goes where mm. it will. So, yeah, only the young. Only young. Cool. Yeah. So hopefully it'll come to download. Yeah, well. Soon. So shall we call that good? Do you have anything else recently you've been uh, watching you want to share about? Uh, no, I think that's me. Fair enough. Until next time, um, yep. this is Doug. This is Jacob. This is Best Words Podcast. Time.